Christos vos crees. Christos anesti. Christ is risen. Please be seated. So I guess we can have people in church as long as they take the proper distances from each other. And so that's a good thing. You are Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Like our own world that we're living in, we don't like to say it, but many people are living in sin. And the Lord, when he met the Samaritan woman, he realized that, and she wanted to avoid the issue. She said, I see you are a prophet. Most people that I run into and want to talk to me, she said, they are, I'm an interesting character. We're not found on every corner, you know. They want to know what I, I am about and who I am and all that. We've been here long enough now, people know who we are. One woman came up to me in Kmart and uh, she said, Do you believe in the Jesus, the Lord Jesus? I looked at her and I said, I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who I believe in. And that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father. She jumped back from me. She said, oh, you are of the high religion. Why aren't we all of the high religion? Too many times we settle for something instead of straightening out our lives and living the high religion. Of course, there was other arguments in this gospel. The Samaritans, from what I can gather, had come back to that area. And of course, there was no possibility of worshiping in the temple. So they built their own temple. And uh, they deviated in keeping the law, apparently. And um, so they uh, orthodox among the community and did, didn't want to do, have anything to do with the Samaritans. Also, there was the question of intermarriage. All those things are at the background of this gospel. But the discussion of the gospel is water, living water. I remember when I was taking the course in uh, sacramental theology, baptism, the priest insisted that we should baptize people and children in living water, which in the Bible meant running water. 
And of course, in our services, we always use a new, new water and replace it for baptism. So, somebody asked me one time, won't you use the theophany water? It's not living. It's blessed water, but it didn't come flowing to us. And other times, people want to baptize people. And what if you don't have any water? How about a glass of beer? No. It has to be water. Now, why is that? Because water, if you look around here on the mountain and in the valley, gives life. It's a perfect sign of life. And so Jesus was baptizing with life. And so was John the Baptist. The distinction between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism was once was a sign of repentance. The other was of new life. the life of the life-giving spirit, the light that comes down from heaven to make a man whole. This was the issue in the gospel. And then, of course, he told her everything he knew about her, and she was amazed. And she rushed into town to tell the good news. He knew everything I ever did. And he knows that about all of us. From our mother's womb, he knows about us, even before. And still he wants to baptize us with living water. He is savior of the world. Now, Baptism is usually done only once, but there is a second baptism in the church, not of water. It's confession, where we're cleansed. Again in John's Gospel, chapter 22, whose men's sins are forgiven, are forgiven. Your sins you retain, they are retained. The power of the keys. We always talk about the power of the keys of the Pope, but every apostle has that. Every priest has that. And baptism, going to confession is like cleaning up, being baptized and washed like you take a bath. You're cleansed up. There's a third baptism in our tradition. It is solemn vows and monasticism. But the fathers say, and the tradition says that when the man takes solemn vows, all his sins are forgiven. He's a new creation. And I really think that monastic vows is truly a sacrament. We don't pay much attention to it. Because there's those strange people. They're like John the Baptist. Or like Jesus at the well with the woman. 
They're living through a world is yet to come, but is always present amongst us. Now, there's many, many other things we can say about this gospel. It is very poignant. It has lots of things to say that we learned in the Old Testament and are now reiterated by Christ in the New and given a nuance. We should read our Bible, we should read it that way. What is the nuance that Jesus has given us? Well, he's telling us that fornicators and sinners can be forgiven. He's telling us that God puts new life in us. He's telling us about the life of the immortal life of the immortal soul, which is your treasure, which you should protect and bring to the heavenly kingdom. He's calling all to believe to have the living water of grace within their inmost being, the divine energies of God. You know, we're sort of, we're sort of lucky we're Christians, aren't we? We're even luckier that we're Catholics and we have still have the teaching of the apostles and the sacraments. It all has to do with the love of God the Father who sees us upon the earth in our dilemma. How are we going to be good? How are we going to live a moral life? Ultimately, how are we going to get to heaven? Drink of the living water. Be baptized. Receive the precious body of Christ in his blood the new life of the Son within us, our primal sacrament, Jesus Christ. He's present in every sacrament. But we start with baptism. Now, baptism makes an indelible mark on your soul. The Western Church teaches that. The Eastern Church says it changes who you are. Same thing. You're a new creation. You're not the person that came in the door. And that's when your mother and dad brought you in to be baptized, or I baptized you as an adult. I changed you, making you an immortal person, a superhero, one on his way to the heavenly kingdom to live forever. Now, this is the problem with this gospel. You have to tell everybody about it. I remember having a discussion with my father. I came back all fired up from church on Sunday. He used to go to an earlier liturgy. And I would go to a later liturgy. Really not because I particularly like that liturgy. I just didn't want to get out of bed early. But that's okay, I guess. When you're young, you got to sleep. And he was in the living room waiting for lunch, and we had a big dinner on Sundays. The whole family, everybody came. Cousins and uncles and aunts and, and two desserts. That was the best part. But anyway, 
big family deal after church. And Dad was reading the newspaper, and uh, he was starting to get, he couldn't read too well without glasses. He was, might have been 40 or 40s or 50 or something. I'm that way too now. I can't even see with glasses, but that's beside the point. But uh, <clears throat> I'm giving, I'm going to try to get another pair. But anyway, he's got the newspaper. He's holding it down like this. And I came in the house. And I'm preaching to him about the sermon we had in church. It was terrific. And he says to me, he says, well, he says, you know, that's the priest's job is to preach. I said, Dad, it's everybody's job to preach. We got in the biggest argument. I says, every baptized, chrismated Christian who receives the body and blood of the Lord must preach. Like the Samaritan woman. She rushed into town and told everybody about Jesus. And through the mail and things like that, I get all sorts of uh, requests for prayer because we're a monastery from all places, different places in the world. This little monastery is watched all the time. And we have a site on computer. They're asking for prayer for the conversion of their children because our society has destroyed faith. It doesn't want the living water. It's going to make paradise on earth. But we know that's not true because now we're living through this pandemic and nobody can figure it out. Only God. Only God. It's a message from him. Return to your father, and the world will be cured. You are the physicians. You are the healers. You must pronounce the word of God. Teach them about our holy Catholic faith. Don't be selfish. Drag someone else to heaven with you. It's your obligation, not just the priest in the temple. His obligation is to pray and preach, yes, but it's your obligation to bring the word of God to people. So don't be afraid. She got all fired up by the Holy Spirit. She rushes into town. She said, get fired up. And if people reject you, remember they rejected our Lord before you. So this is what I call evangelical gospel. You come, she saw, she feel the grace of God, she drank water from the well of immortality, and there she is an apostolic person, and she says to people, don't suffer forever. Know that God loves you, and he wants you in heaven. He wants you cleansed. He doesn't want you to sin. He wants you to cooperate the gift of the Holy Spirit in your inmost being. Just for yourself, know 
Like a priest is not for himself, he's for others. That's nice to be a priest, though, and have all those graces. It's also responsibility. I remember a little story for you. I was ordained in St. Patrick Cathedral in New York. It was wonderful. I was ordained by a servant, the servant of God, Terence Cardinal Cook. He's going to be canonized. I always locked out all my life. I've always gotten the best because my friend, the mother of God, always gets me the best. And we took us behind the altar. There were 30, some of us, probably the last large ordination in the history of that cathedral in these times. There are ordinations, but few, eight, ten, six, maybe four, one. But every vocation is precious. And he said to us, I thought he was going to congratulate us. He says, you made your burden heavier, not lighter. And he gave us a penance to do, the little hours. God who loves you has made your burden heavier, that you will go out and share it with those who God wishes to love, but have not heard his holy words. Name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.